Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, as you know, I'm a hunter. A bit of a hunter, anyway. I like to hunt elk because I'm a, a meat hunter. I enjoy eating the meat from elk. I've been scouting out my area up at the summer home all summer long, <laughs> looking for the best places to hunt. And I resolved that it was really where I've been hunting over the last few years. So I set up a game cam, a game camera, in other words, a camera that's triggered by infrared rays when game goes by, and set it up on a trail up at the ranch and started catching wildlife as it walked by. And throughout the summer, I would see a lot of deer, a lot of doe, I didn't see really anything else. Uh, I think I saw a coyote one time walk by. And then about, oh, about three weeks ago, I started seeing elk on the game cam. Saw a lot of cow elk, a few bull elk. And then I thought, okay, temperatures dropped to the point where they're starting to come down to my elevation. And so the, the, the elk hunt started on October 8th. And I was driving up and spotting elk on October 5th, 6th, 7th, and I could just drive up in the evening and spot elk all over the side hill where I hunt. Just as easy as, I thought, wow, this is going to be an easy hunt for me this year. Well, on October 7th, I got a great shot of a massive, massive 5x5 bull elk on my game cam, and I'm going to post it at the website. And that the game cam is located uh, almost exactly 300 yards away from where I set up to, to shoot. And I thought, wow, okay, I should be able to shoot him. And I've gone in and sighted my rifle at 200 yards and 300 yards, and then I've got the elevation set up so I can shoot longer distances if I need to. And I shoot a 30-06 standard 180-grain bullet, so a fairly large bullet, and gives a nice big kick when you shoot it. So it's not that fun to shoot. But I'm ready for it, and ever since the season opened, I have not seen any elk at all. Well, there was one elk that I saw on opening day. It was a four-point bull elk, and somebody else shot it. Uh, my neighbor, who shoots fairly close to me, uh, shot it. It came over the mountain. It had been chased there by some other hunters. But anyway, I'm going to post a, a picture of the bull elk, and I might even post a couple of pictures of my field of fire up at the ranch, just to give you a little bit of background information about me, if you're curious. So that's what I've been doing the last week or so, and I'm right in the middle of the hunt. The hunt ends on, on October 20th, but then the deer hunt starts after that. And I'm not a big fan of, of venison. I prefer elk over venison. 
But the nice thing is I've got a, a cow elk permit that will let me take a cow elk even during the deer season. So if I have not got my cow elk by then or my elk by then, I'll be hunting for cow elk during the deer season. So those elk are smarter than you give them credit for. In the middle of my building project, so it's really hard to get podcasts out right now because I'm traveling like crazy. Yesterday I had to go up to a funeral of a, a childhood friend that died, and it's uh, it, it actually it was a, the brother of one of my close friends, and he's two years younger than me. So it's um, and he died of natural causes. So it was a wake up call to basically live your life while you can. If you're healthy, make every day count. And I'm trying to do that by keeping too many irons in the fire. Well, I have a few emails I want to go over with you before we get on to today's interview with Mike. I got an email from Dan Culpepper of Heldeline. Dan was sailing in Italy and the Mediterranean this summer. I asked him to give me a time when we could do another interview to catch up on his summer travels. He said, Franz, sounds like a plan. Drop me a line when you return and we'll set it up. We took it easy this summer and didn't do any roller skating through the Louvre. Regards, Dan. So I look forward to talking to Dan and catching up with him soon. But I got a really important email from Dave Jeevens. And you know how I've been sending out emails and not getting responses and wondering why people are not responding to my email? Well, Dave, thank you so much for pointing the obvious out to me. Quite often when I respond to somebody that's written in and I respond, I'll be respond from my iPhone. And Dave sent this note back. He said, Franz, I think the problem is that your reply to address in the emails that you send is franz1 at medsale.com and not franz1 at medsailer.com. In other words, I put in franz1 at medsail, M-E-D-S-A-I-L, which is not my domain. And I had an incorrect email for a return email address. It's my fault entirely. I made a mistake. So anybody responding to me from when I sent them an email on my iPhone, they may easily have responded and it never got to me. So if any of you sent me emails or responded to my emails, my correct email address is franz1 at medsailor.com. It's my screw-up, entirely my fault. I've fixed it, so hopefully I won't have that problem in the future. But anyway... Dave had sailed in Croatia, and he wrote, I, I enjoyed this week's podcast. It was pretty amazing to hear about Hugh and his 90-foot day sailor racing boat made of Kevlar, but in the style of a 1930s J-boat. I did reply to you about being interviewed about our sailing in the summer in Croatia, but it seems that you didn't receive my email. And then he pointed out my obvious screw-up on my, my iPhone. Anyway, Dave said he'd be glad to talk to me about his travels in Croatia, so I look forward to talking to Dave some point in time in the future. Then I got an email from a Turk listener, and I thought he was in Turkey. His name's H. Lewis, and he said, Franz, I bought your book and will read it soon. I also like to listen to your podcast while I'm driving. Interested in more Bodrum Turkey Coast Sailing podcasts? Can you send me the podcast that you are talking about sailing the Aegean coast, the Turkish coast, and around the Greek islands. I don't have specific numbers. You're just going to have to listen to the catalog. Sorry about that, Lewis. But it turns out that Lewis, I thought he was Turkish, but it turns out he is Turkish, but he lives in the United States. 
And he and his wife plan on retiring and moving back to Turkey. His wife's American and he's Turkish, and they plan on moving back to Turkey when they retire, somewhere around the Bodrum area. He said, Bodrum, and I said, oh, Bodrum doesn't appeal to me at all, but to each his own. It's too much like Las Vegas, boom, 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 big discotheques and loud at night. And he said, Franz, I totally agree about Bodrum. What I actually meant was the Bodrum Peninsula. We were seriously thinking to get a villa in Yalakovic or Gumslik. The cost of living is much cheaper in Turkey than the U.S. I think retiring abroad is becoming a better option as Social Security payments in the U.S. are not enough for the health and other expenses. I also do not like ocean. I do not surf. I do not golf. So Florida is not an option to retire for us. I really like the Turkish coast and friendly people there. So many places to sail, fish, enjoy retirement. Also, traveling in Europe is much cheaper from Turkey, which is correct. It's very inexpensive to travel to other places in Europe from the Turkish airports and really from the European airports. We were originally thinking of Kosh, but changed our minds. It is too far away and full of British expats. So we do not mind Brits, but we like to have a combination of Turkish and expats. My wife is American and has been to Turkey five times so far. She loves it there, and she loves the Turkish people. And then he talks about the business. He's a website designer in the States. But... Hussein, his name is Hussein Lewis. Hussein, I appreciate you getting back to me on that. I think it's going to be cheaper for you to buy villas in Turkey in the next few years because of the deteriorating relations between the United States and Turkey. And I think it's scaring off a lot of tourists. And uh, I've been to Kosh, Kalkan and Kosh, both beautiful areas. I agree with you. It's a little hard to get in and out of there. The Bodrum Peninsula is nice because you're fairly close to the airport. Another place I would consider would be up around Kushadasi or Chesme. Those would be the other two places I would consider. There's a lot of areas around Kushadasi that would be interesting, and, and they're also re- reasonably close to an airport. And then yeah, I got a couple emails from Tim Wolf. His first email was regarding where to post a review, but I'm going to read the full email to you. I didn't see where to post reviews, so I'll do it here, and you may put it where it goes. I've listened to most of Franz's podcasts and thoroughly enjoyed the point of view, experienced guests, and the non-sailing stories as well. Since I've gotten so much from the free podcasts, I decided to sign up for the 101 and 103 courses. I purchased the audios. I'm a huge Audible fan, so this is right up my alley. My fiance Lisa, and I listened to your course twice, did some online sample tests, and watch some training videos on Amazon. Well, we took the exam today. Lisa got 91 and I got 92. I think Franz's audios played a big part in our success. He has many personal experiences helping to make sense of a very, of a very foreign language. I had sailed once years ago and Lisa had never sailed, so we are doing the 103 over the next two days. And I'm listening to that audio class as I type this. I give the 101 audio two thumbs up. Pros, real life experience. Franz has a comfortable, easy to listen to voice. Very thorough. Cons. Some of Franz's personal vocabulary is intermixed, which I don't mind, but there is already much confusion to a newbie. That said, well worth the money. Keep up the great work. 
I will review the 103 Monday night. Thanks. And then he wrote back on Monday night, and he said, I found the 103 audio even more helpful than the 101. I scored 96 on the exam. And I'm looking forward to February to take the 104, 105, and 114. I signed up with San Juan Sailing after hearing them on your podcast. I let them know how I found out about them. Thanks, Franz. Well, Tim, thank you so much for writing that. I appreciate it. I posted that comment and every other comment I've got in the audio series, in the, in the web page which has the audio courses. They're all posted down at the bottom. And, of course, there are some reviews in Amazon as well. And one last letter is from Chris in Great Britain. Chris wrote, I enjoy listening to your podcast and think that you underestimate how many listeners you have in the UK. For me, one, if you are looking for persons to interview, may I suggest Rory McDougall? He sailed a James Warham Tiki 21 around the world between 1991 and 1997. If you get a hold of him, I think he would be a fascinating person to listen to. Keep up the good work. Best wishes, Chris. Chris, I got a hold of Rory. And we are just trying to schedule an interview. So I look forward to talking to him soon. All right, quick advertisement. If you're studying for the ASA 101, 103, or 104, I have a series of audio lessons that you can purchase at the website or in Amazon or in iTunes. Probably the easiest way to find them if you're searching those other directories is just put in my name, Franz, F-R-A-N-Z, Amazon, A-M-U-S-S-E-N, and all my publications will come up. If you're just a new sailor and you want to get some of the terminology down, you can listen to the first eight lessons free of the ASA 101. Go to the website, sign up for my email list, and it will give you a link to be able to download the first eight lessons for free. All right. With that advertisement out of the way, let's get on to today's interview with Mike. I'm talking to Mike Chiprin. Mike is a listener to the podcast and a while back, Mike asked me for some advice on sailing with a one-year-old child, where to charter a boat. So, Mike, tell me a little bit about yourself, your sailing experience, and your situation. Well, hey, Franz. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity, and uh, thank you for the uh, podcast you put out. They've been great help and a great inspiration for me, uh, and frankly... Uh, I don't own a boat, but when we do charter, you know, it keeps me, keep, keeps the dream alive, so to speak. Um, so my sailing experience is, um, uh, originally I'm from Russia. Uh, when I was about 12 years old, I moved to the U.S., but I've been sailing since I was about eight on Opti's, and then um, in the U.S., I started sailing again when I was like 18, 19, um, I, I did some flying Scots, and then um, a little later in life, I transitioned to a bigger boats. Um, so my wife and I, we uh, both took the ASA 101 through 105 uh, series of certifications back in 2010, I believe. And ever since then, we've just been uh, chartering uh, once or twice a year. Um, we live on the Chesapeake Bay um, in, in, in DC, Washington, D.C. area, and we um, sail on Chesapeake and then uh, the BVIs. We've done a couple of times, and we've done a couple of sails um, elsewhere in the Caribbean. 
And uh, this year we decided to go to Greece. Um, we originally met in Greece, and and uh, we sort of, you know, for um, sort of anniversary, you could say, six-year anniversary, because we had a, our kid last year. <laughs> uh, we couldn't go, but uh, this year we said, okay, well, we've had pretty good experiences sailing ourselves, um, and we want to go. Uh, try somewhere else, not the Caribbean. And, uh, of course, Greece was the first place that we thought of. And uh, so that's when I uh, emailed you, Franz, and I said, okay, well, how, where do we go in, in the... Uh, into that as well. And Ionian seemed to be, like, the best location to go to with a young family, um, so we ended up going um, to Lefkas, or Lefkada, however you want to pronounce it. Um, different people do it differently, I guess. And uh, we loosely followed your itinerary that you said in the podcast and then your email to me um, with some modifications. Um, I must say we had a... Um, a crew of people that we were trying to um, go with. So initially it was just going to be the three of us. So with that in mind, we, we, we thought we, we need a really well-protected area to go. But then eventually a couple of friends of ours um, wanted to go with us as well. So um, I, our itinerary, of course, morphed because different people have different desires. So... <laughs> Um, so that's the, uh, you know, the, um, the high level. Um, we started in Lefkada, and uh, we ended up in Zakynthos. That's as far as south as we went. Um, and I realized that most people don't actually go to the Zakynthos uh, on sailboat because it's quite a haul. Um, uh, so with that, uh, I, I don't know. So so there were so there were four people on the boat all together or five people on the boat all together then? Um five and a half, yeah. Five <laughs> five and a half. So yes. you and your wife and three other people and then your your child then. Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. How big a boat was it and who did you charter through? So we chartered um it was a really good insight into how Greek chartering works, and I'm not sure how it works in other places in, in um, Mediterranean, but it certainly wasn't an ex not what our experience in um, Caribbean was. In the Caribbean, you usually just charter directly from the company. Um, in Greece, what ended up happening uh, um, last year, I was at the Annapolis Boat Show, and they had uh, you know a bunch of vendors that represented various charter companies. So I said, okay, cool. I found one that was um, uh, representing Greece, went there. It was called Poseidon Charters. They're actually based in Canada. And what was appealing to uh, for me about them was that they are bonded and insured in Canada, which means you pay the company and if the charter company in Greece goes out of business, well, you still get to keep your money. So that, um, and with the, you know, with the Greek financial problems that they're having, to me that was a really big plus. So I went with that company. Well, what they actually end up doing is they subchartered 
through another Greek company, and then that company subcharters through another Greek company. So what it ended up being is I chartered through Poseidon, who I think uh, um, chartered through Nautic charters, and then that company chart. They, they use um, Dream Yacht Charters bases, but they have some different subsidiary companies. So it, it's a really complicated structure. But my money went to Poseidon Charters, which were great. They organized the whole thing really well. Um, I And the company that ended up getting the boat from, which I'm not even sure <laughs> what the name of that company is at this point, um, the service was spectacular. I mean, um, the boat was, um, it was a Bavaria um, 40. I think it was a 2012 model. So it had um, three cabins, two heads, um, you know, uh, galley, all the good things that you get. Um, we had a dinghy, an outboard, a uh, chart plotter. Um, chart plotter was not at the helm station, which, um, you know, I didn't really care about because I was using an avionics on my phone and it was um, more convenient for me anyways because I could, you know, record the track and it was just more up to date anyways. So I didn't really care about the chart plotter that they had. Um, and uh, it has all the safety equipment, um, in mass furling, uh, a 125% jib, I believe, um, even though they said it was going to be a Jenniker, but it was more of a, you know, uh, more of a jib, I felt like. Not that it really mattered, um, because we got virtually zero wind for the first five days. We, we charged for um, seven, uh, seven days, um, and we sort of lost one day due to... Um, uh, career arrangements and when we got to the boat um, so the charter was from Saturday to Saturday and you could get on the boat um, I believe uh, around 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon our flight didn't get into Preveza um, airport until 8 o'clock and our the rest of our crew didn't get into the Preveza airport well, actually, they flew into Athens and then drove from Athens, but they got delayed. Um, and so they didn't get into Lefkada, where the boat was, until about 3 in the morning that day, I think. Yeah, that's a long drive. <laughs> that's, that's not a – I mean, you, you're basically going over to Patra, as I recall, crossing the bridge and then heading up, if, I, if yep, I'm yeah, correct. Yeah, it's, I believe it's a five-and-a-half-hour drive, yeah. um, but they got delayed in New York for six hours. Oh, so, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, we didn't get out of um, Lefkada until – so the way it works, you get on the boat, uh, the charter company checks in all of your documents, um, and then they do a thorough checkout. And that consists of going over – um, all of the equipment on the boat, making sure everything works, checking all the boxes that all of the safety equipment, all of, you know, everything, and all the inventory is on board, and they have a list of, like, hundreds-some pieces, and they actually do go through everything and show you where where it is. Um, so that, that that was done before you – when you got on the boat, you went through the inventory with them? And um 
they they waited until the morning um until everybody got on got on the boat so okay. it, and because we're on greek time we were supposed to have our checkout done at nine o'clock um in the morning it didn't happen until probably noonish. <laughs> okay, okay. But we're in Greece. We yeah. understand. It's okay. <laughs> you know. So um, we didn't get out that day until probably around two o'clock in the afternoon. And my initially, I I, I was going to go from Lefkas Marina. That's where the boat was down the canal, out, and um, we met a German couple in the marina. Oh, actually, it was a couple of, uh, I think it was like four people. Um, they uh, have a boat in that marina, and they go every day or every year sailing. And they recommended that we go on, on to Maganisi to um, the town of Spartacori, I believe, to Porto Spartacori. Spilia, Spilia, Porto Spilia. Yeah, Porto Spilia. Spilia, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah. and they have a really right re- re- nice restaurant there apparently. Yeah, you walk um, up the hill. That's a climb up to the top of the hill, right? Yep. And it um and they have a, a dock there. And I thought, okay, perfect for first day. Uh, we could tie up to a dock. It, it'd be great. Well, since it was already two or three o'clock before we left. I gave him a call and they said, no, unfortunately, we're all booked for the, for the day. We, we don't have any spots on the dock and the restaurant was already um, all full. So we quickly had to redo our itinerary. And I thought, well, we could go to Savota. Unfortunately, Savota was a little further than I wanted to go that first day with, you know, um, that late in the day because I thought it's going to be uh, – as well. Um, now, now where's Savota? Uh, I'm trying to place that. Savota is on the sort of southeast side of um, Lefkada. Oh, okay. Okay. Island, um, and I get I'll get back to that um, particular port. Um, oh, there it is. Late, I see it. I see it. Later yeah. in the um, in our journey, we actually did, did end up uh, visiting it by 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 car. Okay. Um, I've been there one time, and the only reason I went in there was I needed to fill up water. And it was the one place that I remember they had coin-operated water. So you'd fill oh. up your boat, your boat with, uh, you'd put some coins in an, an outlet, and it'd, it'd spew out some water. And it's the only place I've ever been that had that. But yeah, hmm. now, now, uh, now I recognize it after looking at it on the on the map here. Yeah. Okay, go on. Sorry about that. So I remembered that you said Nidra is a good hurricane hole, sort of, well, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> hurricane hole. Um, and so we actually ended up for the first night. We went, we did go into Nidra, um, and we stayed. If you zoom in on the map and you see where the really narrow part of the bay is, mm-hmm. there's that little um, dock that sticks out. And that's the dock that we um, uh, ended up. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. No, I think we, we we stayed at the dock that belongs to Hotel Athos. Yeah, I think that that's. Yeah, maybe that's the dock that we stayed on. At um, there's a couple of docks that they, they stick out there, and um, you just kind of pick and choose which one you want. 
and there may or may not be a person that will tend to your lines. And if they do, um, they'll be really helpful. And if they don't, they might yell at you for <laughs> um, trying to dock by yourself, which that's what ended up being happening to us. There wasn't anybody at the dock. We saw a spot that didn't say reserved on it. Um, the rest of the spots said reserved. It was like, okay, well, it's not reserved. We're going to pull in. Um, then there's a guy appeared out of nowhere and said, hey, 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 next time you come back, um, you make sure that somebody's at the dock to tend your lines because it's really dangerous to do that by yourself. I'm like, well, you know, okay. If you don't know what you're doing, maybe. <laughs> but if you know what you're doing. So that you med-moored there or do you side-tied there? Because I'm looking at it. No, uh, we med-moored. Okay. Uh, we med-moored right at the last um, um, uh, space there that's – uh, for, I, uh, my reservation was that it might be a little too rolly, but it ended up being just fine. Um, the weather was so settled that there was hardly any wind. We didn't. We we tried rolling out the uh, headsail uh, during the day, and uh, there was just no wind. So um, yeah, I mean we we could barely make two knots under uh, under sail so we basically motored uh, down to um Idri. and uh some of our friends um had a uh, kite board with them so we sort of motor boated and they were wakeboarding off the back of the boat the, the this particular model of bavaria had one of those uh, drop down phantoms so it made perfect um kind of you know, lounge area in the back of the boat. So <laughs> everybody was happy, um, except for the fact that we had no wind. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's yeah. the way it is a lot in, in that area. You end up motoring yeah. a lot. Yeah, to, and just to uh, sort of foreshadow a little bit here, um, we ended up motoring probably five out of seven days, or yeah, five, about five, five and a half out of seven days that we were in, um, sailing. Um, because there was no wind. The last day we were um, sailing back, and the wind did pick up finally to about 12 knots, and we had pretty good sail um, up, um, up there in the Ionian Sea. There, and, and it was a it was a good going away sort of <laughs> parting gift from the from the weather gods to us. On the on your last day when you're working your way up to Lefkas, it was blowing. It was probably on your nose then, wasn't it? Um, it was, it was the, the, the last full day. So, um, what we ended up doing is the, our boat was back, due back into Lefkas around, um, let's see, tw uh, noon on, on that Saturday. And so on the Friday, it was blowing pretty nicely and we ended up going into, um, Free kiss, I believe. Yes, mm -hmm. free kiss on Kefalo, uh, on Ithaca, mm -hmm. and then so that sail from Zakynthos to free kiss um, was, you know, we zigzagged a lot, but you know, that, that's what you do when. <laughs> and since um, yeah, there yeah. free kiss is on uh, Ithaca, not not yeah. Kefalonia, Ithaca. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Ithaca. Yeah, um, and since. You know, it was all protected water, so there was hardly any way. I mean, the, we didn't get any waves, so it was pretty comfortable right up. Um, and that boat pointed about 45 degrees to the wind, so. Okay, um, okay. 
So the second day, so did you go into Nidri to dinner that night? Yes, we did go into Nidri um, that night. And since it was the first night, we did kind of party a little bit, um, celebrated. I don't remember the name of the restaurant that we went to. Um, Nidri gets pretty uh, loud and yeah. pretty, uh, yeah. uh, pretty crowded. Um, they have these big fairies that are uh, there's a fairy dog and then uh at night they have this <laughs> very uh big ship that looks like you know the ship from um what's it called um pirates of the caribbean except it's all you know not it's not a sailing ship by any means it's just a, a top know, heavy uh, boat uh, yes yes <laughs> um and they have loud music blaring out of it and it goes out into uh, into the bay and then i guess it goes somewhere a little offshore and then comes back but i remember we uh we went to bed that night maybe around 11 o'clock and it just started leaving and uh, i i heard it at night coming back in um, you know, with music blaring, and at some point they they let out a bunch of balloons out, and it's a big party, basically. But yeah, we um, basically just called it a night, a pretty late night at that, because um, you know we were a bit jet lagged, didn't sleep the night before, <laughs> first night, um, and with my son being just one year old, he. Um, uh, he usually goes to bed around seven or eight o'clock. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the next day, where did you go? Did you okay, go to, so, to to Scorpios? Did you swing by Scorpios and see the Onassis house or anything like that? No, we did not. Um, unfortunately, we did not. And uh, we passed by Scorpios, you know, as you're exiting Nidri, and I believe. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Maduri. Yeah, Maduri, there is a, um, right as at the entrance of the Nidri Bay, there's this um, small island called Maduri, and there is a um, really nice big house sitting right on the cliff, and I think that's the only house on the whole island. Um, we were trying to figure out who lives on that island. Now, I think I think uh, when I read it, I think that was like the national poet or something like that. Somebody famous way back when that was his mm, island. Okay, so, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the following day, uh, we actually went down to um, Kefalonia, and we went to um, the port of Ephemia we stayed there um on the way to Ephemia. so you skipped Fiscardo then and went straight on down then yeah um Fiscardo we thought we initially thought maybe we would stay in Fiscardo but um it I, in the guides it's described as a big party place so and the, everybody goes there so we thought okay well, well let's not do that again because there would be a lot of people um in Fiscardo and just like in Nidri. So um, we skipped Fiscardo, but on the way to um, uh, Ephemia, we stopped by a place that had these caves, and I can't 
tell you exactly where they are from the map. Um, but as you round um, the south, uh, hold on, let me check on that. Okay, so if you look at where um, Poros, okay, so if you look at where Savota is, and then you take a look at the next bay over from Savota, I believe that's, it says like St. Nicholas Resort or something like that. Mm -hmm. And off of that, if you go south and you see um, that little um, point uh, at the end of the, uh, at the bay there, on the east, east eastern part of that um, peninsula, there are some uh, really spectacular caves that are embedded in, in, in the um, in the cliffs there, and uh, we stopped there for probably a, about a good half hour, and just um, you could motor up right to the cliff and dive off the back of the boat and just you know swim into the bay or swim into the caves, climb the. Um, the friends that we had with us, they were big mountain climbers, so they ended up climbing half of the caves and all the, uh, you know, all the cliffs there. Uh, I'm, uh, I used to be a mountain climber, not any longer. <laughs> Plus, I had to tend to the boat. So, um, I, uh, so, so I I'm looking kinda... at a map. Let me see if I can f figure out where this is because I haven't been there. So, from Savota, you're going, you you basically, you, do you go to the right to the very tip of, of, uh, of the peninsula there, or is it? Uh... So, so you take Savota mm -hmm. and then go to the next bay. Okay, uh, the next to, bay to, to, the, the, to, to, to the east. To the east. Oh, to the east. I'm going the wrong direction. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right, and then the east side of that bay, if you go to the very tip of that peninsula. Okay, I can see to it. To the su most southern tip of that peninsula, mm -hmm. there's this. Um, dip in there and the and the, you could I, I can't really make it out but there are um, some spectacular cliffs there looks um, like an exposed place so you've got to stay on the boat while everybody's oh yeah uh, definitely yeah and, and, and it's, it's really pretty, deep, deep yeah it's really deep there um i would say i think right at the cliff it was about 20 meters mm -hmm. um and yeah, as soon as you pull off the cliff, it's about 50 meters. So, I mean, I guess you could anchor there maybe for, you know, for like a day anchor. But, I mean, there was no fetch there at all. So, uh, or not, um, you wouldn't be able to put out any scope. Uh, I mean, it drops off pretty dramatically. So, I wasn't even going to risk putting it. No, I'd, I'd at least have somebody on the boat to be able to come back yeah, and exactly, hit people yeah. as it uh blows away and your your anchor hangs straight down right <laughs> yeah that place was really exposed um but like i said the, the weather was super settled so um then we ended up going from from that peninsula down to um past Fiscardo, um down to agia femia okay right. and and the reason we find we actually past Fiscardo, and then ultimately we're, we're going to go to Ephemia the, second, the third day, I think. But we decided, okay, well, we kind of screwed up our start, and Fiscardo wasn't, you know, um, 
we didn't want to party in Piscardo. But in the FEMIA, um, there are uh, there was a underground lake. Uh, it's between Athemia and Sami. And we decided that Athemia looked a lot more attractive than Sami because Sami, again, is a, um, it's an industrial port. It's the main port on, um, on this side of um, Kefalonia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, all the ferries come into it. Uh, and there's, it's not really picturesque. Nothing it's not at all. And, and that's where they filmed Captain Corelli's mandolin was in Sami. Right. Exactly. Yes. Now, where's um, so, this underground lake you're talking about? Because I haven't uh, heard about that. It's the uh, Melisani Lake Cave. Um, if you zoom in, now that I'm looking at the map, um, it's actually, if you go to Sami, and it's about, oh, maybe, you know, it's on the western end of Sami, of Sami and, okay, it'll, and, okay. it'll, and it'll a little up. So it's a lot closer to Sami than it is to um, um, Ephemia. And we in Ephemia, we ended up staying two nights. Um, one of the reasons was um, we just wanted to slow down a little bit and uh, kind of take in the sights. And another reason that the rest of the crew was saying, well, we just keep on going and, you know, we, we, we kind of come to this place and we spend very little time and we leave and let's try to do a hike or something or go somewhere. So what we ended up doing was uh, the next day we um, we went, we took a taxi to um, Melisani Lakes, which were spectacular. Um, they, uh, I think, cost about seven euros uh, per person, and they, they load you into these uh, rope, boats and a uh, tour guide rows you through the caves and he sings um sings songs and kind of tells you a little bit about the uh the lakes and the spectacular thing is when the light hits the lake at a right degree um or the right angle rather and the um the lake just becomes this turquoise and there's just there's just beautiful beautiful all sorts of shades of blue and um, it's really pretty um so after that so i'm wondering is this like the blue lagoon on capri where you can't take your boat there and take your own dinghy in where they've pretty much blocked it off and you have to uh, hire somebody to take you in um it's an inland lake so oh, okay it, it, yeah um there, there are blue caves on the Kinthos, which I'll get to later, which I definitely don't recommend doing because it is sort of like um, the blue lagoon on or whatever the blue caves in Capri. Um, I haven't been, but I imagine that's what kind of it's the same. They only allow you to go there on a hired boat, um, prim- mostly. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll get to that story in a bit. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, now I that, see these lakes, and I'd never heard of that till you've mentioned it. So that's good information for when I go back again. Milisani Lake Cave. I see it here on yep. uh, on the map now. Yeah. And then if you go to Ephemia, uh, and then you look directly opposite from Ephemia on the other side of 
the island of Cephalonia, there is a place called Myrtos Beach. And Myrtos Beach is this really long stretch of, um, we thought it was sand, but it's not really sand. It's these little small pebbles. Um, and again, we took a taxi. Our friends, they rented a scooter or two scooters, and they um, scootered the, the whole um, island or the whole, that whole trip. Um, and we spent maybe two or three hours on Mirto's beach um, with my son. And the, uh, he was, he, the, the water there is pretty protected. Um, it's really, you know, they get, you could get a um, lounge chair or umbrella, a sun umbrella, and then they have a mini bar. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like a kind of a beach bar type, which where they sell like spina capita and uh, uh, baklava and all sorts of sweets and um, drinks and coffee and stuff like that and then they also uh do not paragliding but the um where uh, they pull you behind the boat of, and they lift you no, up. no 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 uh no they um it's sort of like you get a giant parachute and they attach a cart hmm. with a giant propeller <laughs> behind it and then they launch you off the side of the cliff and you kind of go back and forth oh okay an ultralight then okay yeah 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 sort of like that yeah so uh, that's available and the cliffs there are really really uh tall so and to get to down to the beach you actually go over a bunch of switchbacks so uh that that was a lot of fun um i'm glad that my son got to experience that that um the, the beach, not the not the ultralight. <laughs> he didn't do that, obviously. <laughs> um, and as far as food goes, um, there are two places in um, Ephemia that we went to. One I would not recommend, um, and that place is on the south. Oh, no, not south. Uh, east, I'm sorry. On the east side of the uh, city, if you, from the marina, you take a walk past the breakwater and just kind of along the road, and then the road starts going up a hill, and you kind of keep going and, go, and you get to uh, Paradise Beach, I think it's called, the Taverna. And uh, it, we didn't really like the food there. It was subpar. Um, you know, um, we our normal menu that we usually get was is um, the Greek salad, the Horiartiki salad, which um, Greek salad in the U.S. is not Greek salad. <laughs> For those who have been to Greece, know that it's a completely different thing. <laughs> the Greek salad in Greece doesn't have any lettuce. It contains only Super fresh tomatoes, super fresh uh, uh, cucumbers, olives, a big chunk of feta cheese, and then olive oil. Oh, and a lot of onions. And some a uh, little bit of oregano, too, sometimes. Oh, yeah, sometimes oregano and sometimes uh, capers. Yeah, so um, we always got that. 
we always uh, get uh, some sort of octopus. So it's either a grilled octopus or um, or a marinated octopus or something like that. And, and then something else that's on the menu. Um, Sometimes, a lot of times it's moussaka or um, the specialty of the house or some fish or something like that. But the, those two things we always got. Um, Oh, and also, if they have them, sometimes they didn't have this dish called halloumi, which is a fried cheese. Uh, really, really good. Uh, but I digress. This place didn't have uh, didn't have the best food. The place that we did like a lot and uh, was really good is called Fricus Cafe. Or uh, well, I'm sorry. Oh. Finicus, Finicus, Finicus uh, Taverna. Uh, and that's uh, right in the middle of the uh, town key there. And it actually was right where our uh, boat was moored. Um, so we basically just step out and we, were, we could walk into the Taverna right from our um, boat. So you like that? Uh, that fin- Finca's Cafe. Now, I know when I've been in there, there's a whole line of cafes or restaurants along that, that waterfront. And so yep. it's always a, a, I never know which one's better than the others, but but you recommend that one. So that's going to end the first part of my two-part interview with Mike Chipperin. After the interview, Mike sent me an email, and he said, I forgot to mention regarding sailing with a toddler. We did have a life jacket for him and a tether. The life jacket proved to be too bulky, and honestly, I don't think it would have helped much if Adrian ended up in the water. So the focus was on keeping him in the cockpit. The tether helped with that. The charter company did offer to install netting on the lifelines for $200, but we ultimately decided against it, since it would be too easy for him to climb over the side. And then he went on to say, below is a quick four-minute video I did on my iPhone for your trip. Feel free to link it up. And I will put that link in the blog post for this episode. Next week, we're going to have the second part of the interview with Mike. So I hope you download it and listen to it. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, drop me an email, franz1 at medsailor.com. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. Get out there and go sailing. Joe, do you have something to tell me? No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now, you know? Ha, ha, ha.